The May WASD offered the first serious look at USDA's expectations for the scale of the 2023 crop, and many signs are pointing towards a banner year. So what should growers be watching as new and old crop news rattles markets? That's today on Field Posts. Post is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The May WASD dropped Friday, May 12th, as market watchers waited with high expectations for USDA's latest insights as plant 2023 continues. A number of unexpected adjustments made this a May report to remember, especially as the outlook for a possibly bin-busting crop collided with continuing tight stocks. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the latest on old and new crop demand and how the market is interpreting the most timely information on shifting weather, feed demand, and persistent wetness that's thwarting planting in North Dakota. He'll also give us an update on ethanol usage, the global ending stocks picture with surprises from Brazil, and the unpredictability in current beef and pork markets. We'll dive into outside pressures from new information like the latest jobs report, global trade, and what the looming weed season might hold right after this word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the 2023 Virtual Ag Summit Series. The next Ag Summit Series event is coming up soon. Here's Katie Dellinger with more on what you can expect and how to participate. We're going to meet for our next Ag Summit Series on May 23rd and we're calling it crop updates from the field because hopefully by then the crop is in, it's up, and farmers will really have a better idea of what they're looking at. They'll be able to start discussing what kind of weeds they're seeing, what kind of emergence they had, any concerns they may be having about pests early on, and getting a perspective on what they're gonna do. So we're going to bring in a lot of farmers from across the growing region to talk about what they're seeing on their farm. We're going to have a presentation from KJ Johnson. He's the president of the Illinois Chemical and Fertilizer Association. He's gonna talk a little bit more about some of the new dicamba deadlines that are out there for certain states. He's gonna talk about what he's hearing as far as some of the agronomic need to know for the year. Then we'll also have updates on that summer weather as we're moving into it. And then we'll have Todd Holtman to do a real deep dive into the markets, where they're going, what the trends are. Is there going to be a chance for an in-growing season rally for farmers to make a marketing decision? Sounds like a lot, it is a lot, but we're gonna make good use of farmers' time. We're gonna take about three hours in the morning of May 23rd to really dig into these topics. We're going to have the option for some interaction at the end of it as well. We're gonna have a Zoom room chat and I'm really excited to see what farmers have to say and how they interact. It's important to know that the Ag Summit Series events are completely free. We really just want farmers to show up, participate, and get access to this information. It's a different way to hear from many of the voices you hear on dtnpf.com and really get a chance to get deep in this information. We have most of the outline of our schedule and a lot of other information about how to register online already at dtn.com backslash 2023 hyphen ag hyphen summit hyphen series. Now back to the show. 
DTN's lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the latest news from USDA's May World Supply and Demand Estimate. Todd, talk to us a little bit before we dive into the numbers about expectations you had going into this report. Well, you always kind of wonder how USDA is going to surprise you because we all have expectations of what we think things should be, but sometimes USDA has a different view of things. So you always kind of wonder if they're going to throw you a curveball on anything. And maybe that's true every report, but it seems especially true in the May WASD because not only are we tweaking the old crop estimates, but we're coming up with the first serious attempt at the new crop estimates. And those have a big range of uncertainty. We see that even in our pre-report surveys of what analysts are expecting. We have pretty wide ranges of anticipation. So you just buckle in and wait to see what hits you. Well, start us off with kind of some top line numbers. What were the big, maybe things that surprised you coming out of this report or the big numbers that you were paying attention to? The, the big thing that no one can ignore are the record corn and soybean crop estimates that hit us right away. And of course, they led to some big ending stocks estimates for both corn and soybeans in the new crop season. So we're looking at record high production this year, corn 15, almost 0.3 billion bushel crop. Soybeans, a 4.51 billion bushel crop. Those, if those comes true, that'll be the biggest crops the U.S. has ever seen. And it really marks a transition. We've had about two, two and a half years of tight supplies of corn and beans. And if this proves out right, we're not going to have that anymore. We're going to have plenty of corn available. USDA says 2.2 billion bushels of ending stocks. And on soybeans, 335 million bushels, which is the most we've seen in four years for soybeans. So it's back to the good old days, quote unquote, of bigger, more comfortable surpluses. And of course, that's going to be hard on our prices. Sticking with those new crop estimates for now, we just had a good conversation last week with Joel Carlin here on the podcast about planting progress. It seems USDA is sticking with some pretty big numbers for their estimates, but we're still looking in the Northern Plains. Very little has been planted still. I'm curious how you're watching that situation, how you're informing your numbers with the fact that it's still possible to get a lot of crop in, but it seems like things are awfully delayed in some really key regions. Yeah. And I'll also add to that, Sarah, that in the big picture, I'm not sure the cropland total overall is available there that USDA is estimating. So on corn, USDA is saying 92 million acres of corn. I was at 90 million and I'm staying at 90 million until proved otherwise because I'm a very stubborn person. (laughs) But you're right. North Dakota is a problem this year and it remains to be seen just how much corn especially. Now, they can still have time to do soybeans at a later date and hopefully escape any freeze threat in the fall. But that corn they want to get in a timely manner. So I think that's the real part of the USDA estimates that is at risk there. But Outside of North Dakota and maybe northwestern Minnesota, everybody else looks like they're off to a very good start this year. What you're seeing for planting progress outside of those northern plains, I wonder if you could just say a little bit more about that. What you're hearing maybe from folks on the ground or what you're seeing analysts trade on. Is there any other regions that you're keeping an eye on? Uh, Well, I will say that, say, just a few weeks ago, I think guys up in the North Dakota area were predicting prevented acres, maybe five to seven million acres of prevented plantings. But I think those expectations have come down. Now, to be honest, I've been trying to get more boots on the ground opinions and comments from up there, but I don't have a lot of detail 
at the moment. So I'm going to be relying a little bit on the Monday afternoon crop progress like everybody else and just the anecdotal things that we're hearing. But a few weeks ago, nobody even wanted to talk to you about planting because (laughs) they still had snow on the ground and it it just, it was a sort of depressing situation up there. Since then, they've had a pretty good streak of at least two weeks of warmer weather. And that looks like it's going to continue. They'll be in the seventies, maybe sometimes eighties. They'll be about still when they come back to the sixties for highs of the day. But day after day, that taught how to help get those fields ready. But it's still hard for me to get a grasp on just where the wet areas are and where those really tough trouble spots are just going to not get planted this year. Jumping back to the markets a little bit, we've talked a little bit about the new crop, but especially as we look at the old crop and the market movement coming out of this report, what are you seeing? Was that how you expected the market to react to the numbers that you saw? I guess so. Since we're on corn, the old crop change, the main change, was that USDA reduced the export estimate by 75 million bushels. And that's something I don't think surprised anybody. Our corn exports are down about 34% from a year ago, 34 to 36% roughly, and just have not moved the needle. And then add to that, just in the past few weeks, we started getting these cancellations from China. So that's been a real sore spot for the corn price basically since April. And so that certainly doesn't help. But that was the main adjustment on the corn side. We did see the old crop ending stock estimate moved up to 1.42 billion bushels. That was up 40 million bushels from April's total. You mentioned ending stocks. For corn, talk a little bit about how that fits into global ending stocks. Obviously, Latin America has been very top of mind as we come out of the Latin American season. Yeah. What did USDA have to say about Brazil and Argentina? Yes, we had some very, I would say, unusual USDA estimates. And I talked at the top about getting some surprises. I think they came in the form of the South American estimates in this report. For South America, USDA kept Argentina's corn crop unchanged at 37 million metric tons. Now, local sources are below that number, and many of us expected another reduction in that number, but USDA chose to stand pat on that. And then probably the biggest bearish surprise to me of the day was that USDA estimated Brazil's corn crop at 130 million metric tons. Now, last month it was 125. Conab came in just on Thursday and estimated that corn crop at 125 and a half, but I don't think anybody expected 130. So that was quite a jump up. It also happens to be at the time when we've lost the rainy season in Brazil. So the dry season is now officially here. Whatever soil moisture they have in the ground helping this corn crop basically is there. They'll get bouts of light rain or scattered showers from time to time. But from here on out, it's basically a dry season for Brazil. And I think it still remains to be seen if that 130 total will be able to prove out or not. I'm curious there, we've talked a bunch on the podcast before about China and the challenges the USDA has with getting kind of solid information out of markets there. When you're looking at Argentina and you're looking at Brazil and you see a surprise like this, are you thinking that is the result of USDA's estimating or is that information that's being gotten out of the market somewhere? I guess my best guess would be that the difference is coming from some kind of satellite info that they have, like a vegetation index or something like that, where 
as I mentioned, the local authority, CONAB, estimated 125 and a half. So typically they stay fairly close to what the local authorities are estimating, but here they went out a bit on their own limbs. So I just, I have to maybe suspect that their satellite data maybe looks a little friendlier than they think. While we're on the topic of corn, talk to us a little bit about the demand picture. We also, since last time we talked, got a chance to chat with Todd Neely about ethanol and the driving season picture. Are you seeing good demand signals on your end? Most recently, yeah. We've seen the ethanol inventory level come down as normally happens when temperatures start to get warmer and we all get out and get more active and driving more. Overall, ethanol production and gasoline demand both have been down about 3% in this seasonal period. There's still room in my mind for USDA to reduce that ethanol demand number in the old crop season, but so far they stayed pat today and didn't make any changes there. So that may be something that corn has to deal with in the next month or two. But so far, USDA's standing pat, as I say. And I do expect ethanol demand to pick up as drivers get more active. We saw another increase in gasoline demand last week. So I'll be interested if we don't see that ethanol production start to pick up a little more here soon. Uh, You talked a little bit earlier about the export picture, but what about the feed side? I feel like that's something we haven't talked about as much recently, though. Big concern for the cattle markets, I'm sure. Yes. I should mention in this report, USDA increased the old crop estimate on feed demand by 25 million bushels. And I think we've seen strong cash basis for corn the entire year. And even now, the cash basis on old crop corn is at its highest level in over 20 years. And I think feed demand is the real hero there. And of course, hay supplies weren't available. Even water's in short supply in a lot of the livestock areas in the Western Plains. So I think over this winter and springtime period, there was more of a reliance than usual on corn uh, for feed demand. And I think that's what got reflected in today's report. If those hay supplies come back next year, we expect them to for the most part with a little friendlier forecast through summer. I don't think we'll quite have that dire of a situation next winter. And you mentioned there corn basis, 20-year high. Give us a little bit more detail on that number. What kind of figures are farmers looking at at farm gates across the country? Of course, it's impacted regional. It varies quite a bit by where you're at. So we still have $7 cash bids in the Texas panhandle, southwestern Kansas area. But once you get away from the western plains, that basis is not nearly as strong when you look in the central and eastern corn belts where they had much better crops last summer. So it's really a function of how well production did last year. But of course, there's a lot more livestock feed demand on those western plain areas too. So that really exaggerated the tightness in corn. Let's switch gears and talk about soybeans. Give us just a little bit more depth on kind of the stocks picture for soybeans, old crop, new crop as we look ahead. Well, soybeans is also a good example of a transition period where on the old crop side, we're currently in a season where U.S. soybean supplies are tight and USDA just increased it slightly today. Instead of 210 million bushels of ending stocks, they now say we're going to have 215 million bushels. Not much change. We're still looking for fairly tight soybean supplies through summer. When it comes to new crop though, however, With that big new record crop USDA is expecting, 
and the competition that we're getting on the export side from Brazil's record harvest that came through this year, looking for 335 million bushels of ending stocks in the new crop season is a much more plentiful supply situation and puts pressure on those prices. USDA's average farm price for the new season is $2.10 less than the current season. So they're looking for $12.10 in the new season, which is still not a bad price for many producers, but certainly not as good as the $14 and $15 prices we saw earlier this year. You mentioned during our Planet Acres conversation just a few minutes ago about Soybeans have a little bit more flexibility for going in late. And so corn is the priority as planting gets pushed back. But I'm curious how in your mind that might shift those acreage estimates and whether there's a point where not enough soybeans have gone in or where you're swapping corn acres in for soybeans because you don't think you'll get the corn in or you think it'll get flooded out. Or how is your soybean planted acre picture shifting? (laughs) Good question. For the most part, USDA has a planting estimate of 87.5 million my estimate's 88, so we're not that far apart. I just don't expect it to get too shook up, knowing that really North Dakota is really the only spot. Now, North Dakota's become a big soybean producer, don't get me wrong, or in terms of acres and plantings. But I would guess if anything changes by the time we get to the June 30 estimates, we'll probably see less acres of planting for both corn and soybeans, but maybe just a million or two of each. And update us on the demand picture for soybeans. Obviously, crush has been top of mind, but yeah, how are exports looking? How are you following that picture? Yeah, the exports are doing very good. We're within 1% of last year's pace, which is still above USDA's estimated pace for this year. There was no change made to the old crop export estimate in today's report. And I don't believe there was a change made to the crush side either. We're still looking at very good demand there. And of course, when you only have 215 million bushels of ending stocks to work with, there's not a lot of room to fudge those numbers. So there's going to be some rationing this summer. But the thing is, it's going to be hard to get a $15 soybean price again when end users know that they can just bring some up from Brazil because there's plenty of cheap beans down in Brazil now. So that's going to keep a limit on our prices, I'm afraid, even though we've got a tight supply situation this summer. But demand's been good. It's hard to complain about demand in the old crop season. And speaking of prices, talk to us a little bit about the soybean basis and what that looks like today. The soybean basis is not quite as strong as corn. And remember, these basis figures are still pretty much based on the old crop or the current cash prices, I should say. And they're compared to the July futures. So The basis is still doing quite well for our DTN National Soybean Index. It's 19 cents below the July contract. That's still some of the best basis we've seen over the past 14 years. It's it's actually the third strongest that we've seen. The best basis we ever saw in that period was 2013, where we had that extreme drought. So it doesn't compare to that level, but it is the third strongest. So overall, with the good active exports for beans, and we've had a very active crush season, that basis is holding up very well. Switching over to wheat, which we are in an interesting in-between period as the new wheat season approaches. Talk to us about the wheat picture as you see it as we continue with 
tight global stocks. Yeah. I think it's probably no secret that for many months I've been frustrated that I don't think that wheat prices have been fairly traded in terms of the tight supplies that we have worldwide. And I understand the Black Sea Grain Initiative has been a bit of a miracle this year in allowing Ukraine to export as much corn and wheat as they have. And that's actually turned out to be much better than I ever expected it would be if you talked to me a year ago. And that's good news. And of course, Russia came through with this mega crop this year, and they just had wheat coming out their ears. They seem to be the only one, because if you look at our stocks, they were the lowest U.S. stocks in nine years. And we see the lowest world-ending stocks of wheat, if you exclude China, in let's see, about 14 years, the new crop estimate actually puts it at a 16-year low now. So wheat stocks were tight in Europe, they were tight in the U.S., they were tight just about everywhere but Russia. And yet we've had a very difficult price market for all three wheats until recently. We've seen some nice sharp rebound in Kansas City wheat, and especially after today's report. But Chicago and spring wheat have continued to struggle with low prices. And to give us kind of the demand side of that picture, is that something USDA expects to turn around? Well, it certainly seems to be turning around for Kansas City wheat right now. And of course, that's not related so much to demand as it is related to the fact that we just have an extremely difficult crop situation in the southwestern plains, and namely in Kansas and Oklahoma. The demand part of this has been a real disappointment this year, actually. Typically, when you have tight wheat stocks, you have pretty active demand interest all through winter and spring. As end users typically have to bid up to get the supplies they need. But that's not just what we saw this year worldwide. And I don't know if end users were so worried about the war situation that they found ways to stock up their needs early. And then all of a sudden, demand just went to total crud <laughs> through winter and spring. But the demand side of the world wheat equation just really fell apart in the latter half of the season, the way I haven't seen it do in a long time. So that was a tough period to get through. I was thinking too about the possibility of just, is wheat so much more substitutable with something else than we think? It seems like it wouldn't be. It's always compared to corn and people always think wheat are when corn's expensive, people are going to feed wheat to cattle, but that just never seems to quite turn out to be the case. And when it comes to the specific food items, we've seen years where we've had bid big aggressive auctions for soft red winter wheat because of its specific consumer uses, but that just was not the case this year. We just didn't seem to see any interest from any sector. And what does that meant for, or what is that meaning today for the wheat basis picture? It's actually better than average. It's not what I would call a stellar. So the DTN HRW wheat index, that's the hard red variety grown out of Kansas and surrounding areas. It's 27 cents under the July contract. That is the fourth strongest in 14 years. So as I say, it, it's better to, than average. It reflects the tight supplies. But we haven't seen like real urgent panic demand or anything like that. We haven't seen real aggressive bidding in that HRW wheat market. 
We just talked to Shaylee earlier this week. I think when we talked last month, we talked about what a good situation the cattle markets were in and how optimistic everything was looking. And then the market just slid for three weeks coming out of the WASD. So I'm curious, as you look at this month, as you've taken a look at the markets, what's your take on just what's going on and where do you think we're going from here? <laughs> well, first of all, welcome to my world. <laughs> this is what it's like to follow markets every day. Just when things look obvious, then they turn around and do the opposite. So that's not as uncommon as you might think. <laughs> but uh, I will say uh, we had a period of very strong bidding on the cash side of the market, and it's well-deserved. We just don't have the cattle numbers. Everybody knows it. And everybody knows that the Packers were in a situation where they had to bid up to get cattle, and that drove cash prices to new heights. And that was impressive to see, and we've been waiting for a long time to see that happen. Part of the falling apart, I think, was that we did get to new heights, maybe got a little overdone short term, but also we started encountering outside market concerns. You've heard about bank failures that started in March, and we started hearing the recession word again, and there were signs of economic activity slowing down. And so there's always a constant concern that's going to hit the retail counter, especially for beef, since it's the more expensive meat product. But honestly, to be fair, box beef prices have held up very well. So we have not seen a real big hit. Just in the past few days, we've seen a little weakness in the box beef, but that probably deserves a pause as well, too, because it's had quite a run up for several weeks now. So sometimes I think of the market oftentimes as a blind man, and it, it, it pokes its stick out to test high prices and supplies for a time, and then it runs into a wall, and then it pokes back the other direction. And it's just the market trying to search out what the reality of demand and supply is at the moment. So we have not seen any significant break in the support for cattle prices, and I don't think we're going to see any significant or long-lasting break, other than we might get some more outside scares from what people think about the economy or what's happening there. But overall, U.S. consumer demand seems to be holding up very well. It doesn't seem near as nervous as traders are about futures prices. And until we see some collapse in demand or something, which I really don't expect, these cattle prices ought to hold together very well in my mind. And are those trends continuous through pork and poultry markets as well? Unfortunately, pork is in a much different situation, Sarah, and that is not a situation where we have light supplies of hogs available. It seems that we've been underestimating the hog supply ever since the December hog report from USDA, or maybe another way of saying that, it seems that actual hog supplies continue to surprise us about how available they are. The other thing that I've just noticed lately is that the price of early weaned hogs has dropped dramatically the past two weeks. And evidently there's maybe was an overexpansion in the production of those very young hogs or pigs to the market. And because of that big drop and big availability now of those early weaned pigs, I think that's really hit the back month prices in hogs quite severely, where we've taken out a lot of the big premiums. And now just almost all the hog prices are in the 70s and 80s. That's not something that we saw just a month ago. 
Before we talk a little bit about the broader economy, I want to ask maybe an encompassing question about the year ahead. One of the things that Joel Carlin talked about in his perspective planting was looking at the acreage that USDA is expecting, looking at the yield figures that USDA is using. It seems like USDA is estimating a really record crop for this year. You've talked about it already. I'm curious just how that feels to you. Obviously, we're very early in the season. A lot can happen. There's still weather. There's still many months of getting things done that need to happen. But Joel's take was every once in a while, you do have to break the record. And it does seem to be time. (laughs) Uh, So I'm curious, does the numbers USDA is using right now seem appropriate? Or do you think that it might be a bit of an overestimation at this point? Actually, people might not like to hear this, but I'm a little concerned that USDA is not using a high enough number yet on the yield. But I will say that we're not far enough into the season yet to really go out on the limb. But just talking to DTN's weather team, and I've done farm shows with John Brannick over the winter, and his message has been consistently the same, that as we're losing, and actually we've lost the La Nina influence now, and we're in neutral territory at the moment, possibly El Nino developing later in the summer. But without that La Nina influence, it seems to open the door for much more favorable weather for the U.S. in the summer ahead. And so the extreme heat temperatures that we saw last year, it doesn't sound like they're going to be there. And it sounds like the rain chances will be much more spread out across the Corn Belt, not just isolated to eastern Iowa and Illinois, but there'll be a much more generous distribution of rain this year. And Joel Carlin, one of the things I mentioned is he always does good work on the the yield trends for corn and soybeans. And historically, if you notice, when we've had good years, we can easily be three to 6% above yield. Sometimes it's been even more than that. And so if this happens to be one of those good weather years where we come in three to 6% above trend, we're going to be looking at much higher yields (laughs) than anyone wants to put out at this moment. But having said all that, if I am nervous about something, Sarah, it's that the market seems incredibly confident in this assumption right now that we're going to have these big record crops because we've seen the December corn and the November soybean prices get hit pretty hard. I think they're actually getting, like December corn, getting close to $5. There's reason for prices to hesitate at that level because the truth is we don't know yet. There's so much of the season we have still ahead of us. I think the market needs to have a little more respect for the uncertainty of what's going to unfold ahead. So I hope it doesn't get too carried away too quickly. But so far, it's hard to see any signs of support just yet in either corn or beans. You mentioned people are using the R word recession again, or continue to use it despite the fact that another surprising jobs report has come out that looked very optimistic. How are you thinking about the condition of the broader economy and how that might be playing into the markets going forward? One of the charts I showed in our USDA webinar today after the WASDE report was a chart of the S&P 500 index versus a chart of KRE, which is an exchange traded fund of regional bank stocks. And to me, there's the two stories that are being told right now. If you look at the S&P 500 in general, most of those companies are doing very well. And when I say most, I mean like 85% or more 
The S&P 500 is doing very well. It's the financial sector that is raising the most worry right now. And specifically, those regional banks have just gotten beat down very hard. And there's still concern about stability among those regional banks. And of course, we're all nervous and depositors are nervous and they've been fleeing to the bigger banks and that sort of thing. Um, As a whole, the economy still looks very good. Our jobs numbers are still going up. We saw another report of record employment in the most recent report here in the U.S. All those are doing the right things. Granted, it's not great to have this constant drumbeat of rising interest rates still in front of us. And it was maybe a little encouraging to see the producer price index come down this week. It was only, uh, I think, less than 3% for the year this past week. So there is some sign of the economy slowing, taking some of that inflation fear out, and maybe that'll help the Fed at least back off a little bit or slow down in their campaign to raise interest rates. But right now, the push to raise interest rates does continue to be a bearish headwind for all our commodity prices and certainly doesn't help farmers that have to borrow to make operating loans each year. So it's still a tough situation, but in general, the economy's still doing the right things and it's still showing expansion. Last question, as you look May, June, big months to keep an eye out on. The information that is available, which to keep in mind, it's still very early in the season. It's not carved in stone for sure. But what will you be watching out for over the next 45 days or so? Well, uh, the top three are weather now that we're into the crop season itself. And uh, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny about North Dakota and just what's going on there and what they're able to do or what they're maybe not able to do. But uh, for the most part, it's all going to be a lot of crop watching and weather and soil moisture and temperatures and all those good things. But everything's mostly off to a very favorable start right now. It's knock on wood for the moment. It is looking like a very good crop year for the U.S. You can read Todd's full analysis and up to the minute reporting on all things ag markets at DTNPF.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier, Kylie Swanson, and Susan Payne. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.